Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about outgrowing fandoms. More specifically, about a Tumblr post by the writer Anurb regarding her vision of what it means to outgrow, or not, a fic or a fandom, and the relationship we might have had with it. Lenny and I discuss what makes us obsessed with a particular piece of media enough to write about it, but also what makes us fall out of love with certain source materials. We chat about the differences between writing fanfic and interacting with the wider fandom, and give advice as to what to do when your fandom friends develop different obsessions from you. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. This is our first episode together of the year. Uh, Lani is here, so happy new year. Um, you have already heard me last week on the Smut episode with Celeste, but we're very, very happy to be back together. So Lani, how are you? What's been up? Uh, it's been, it feels like it's been a long time since we've recorded together. And it's funny because both of us have recorded with other people since the beginning of the year, uh, but not together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. been... Um, it's been kind of an exciting new year because I feel like there's been so much internet culture BS that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> like, mainly what I've seen is that every time a new, like, screenshot comes out from Prince Harry's memoir, I'm like, this is a meme. Oh, I've like, got this it. Is, this is a golden. I bought it today. I bought Prince Harry's memoir, memoir today, yeah. so I'm going to read it. Um, it's there's, there's just so much stuff in there, and I'm not saying he did this intentionally, because I'm sure he didn't, but so much stuff in there is just, like, 100% quality meme potential. Oh, yeah. No, it's, like, I love stupid gossip. Like, I would never I would never gossip on, like, in, like, real life, like, you know, serious situations. But, like, stupid gossip like this, or, like, fandom gossip, or, like, royal gossip, or anything, I'm, like... I'm here for it, you know? Everyone I know who's like, I don't care about those people. I don't care what they do. I'm not interested in celebrities. Also has so many opinions that show they clearly have been following the story the whole way along. <laughs> like, like at the same time, like, my dad did this 180 where one day he was like, all against Prince Harry and all and all negative and then the next day we saw him being interviewed by Anderson Cooper and my dad was like he has a lot of credibility like I really believe him and I was like that's literally <laughs> the opposite of what you said 24 hours ago just I don't know every every moment everyone's changing their mind like do, do we hate him now do we love him now like is he awful is he the best <laughs> <laughs> I I I think he's the best. I think I think he's out there to destroy the royal family and I respect that. Her it's a different story like she's, you know, she's her own thing, but him he's like I want to destroy my family because I hate them and I think fair enough, lots of people hate their families as well. <laughs> you know? You know, something occurred to me the other day that felt like it unlocked the whole thing for me, which was I had had all these questions about things about Prince Harry that seemed to not make sense. But then when I saw a screenshot of him, uh, let me, let me pull up the literal quote because it's, it's too good to miss out on. This is my favorite one. I posted about it twice yesterday because I posted once and then I just couldn't stop oh, thinking about it. Oh, is it the one that you, yeah, wait, so, yeah. so he says, the past is never dead. It's not even past. When I discovered that quotation not long ago on brainyquote.com, <laughs> I was thunderstruck. I thought, who the fuck is Faulkner? <laughs> and I, I, I just, in that moment, I realized that the key to the whole thing of understanding him is that he's just a himbo. Like, it's the rest of us who made it overcomplicated. Like, he's not pretending that he's smarter than he is. Like, he's not an intellectual. Um, I think there was a scene on, there was a part of his interview with Anderson Cooper where Anderson Cooper said something like, it's like a Shakespearean drama, isn't it? And Prince Harry was like, well, I don't know. You've probably read more Shakespeare than me. Because, like, like, he knows. He knows he's not an intellectual. Like, he knows he's not that bright. And I'm like, that's, this is, this is what it is. Like, it's not, when people think he's out there playing, like, four-dimensional chess to try and, like, 
re-destroy the royal family and make him... I'm like, stop, stop. He's not, he's not playing two-dimensional chess. Like, he's out there playing checkers and you're projecting four-dimensional <laughs> chess onto him. But I think, I think there's something, like, there's a certain intelligence in admitting that that's not your thing. Like, I think he's... I don't think he's an idiot either because I think there's, like, something... You know, a lot of people who are truly not bright will pretend they are like will pretend they have read this stuff will be like oh yeah i know everything about shakespeare whatever whereas he's like no i don't I, I that's not my thing and i think there's a certain respectability and an intelligence in that in my opinion it just completely destroys the pretense that there's anything about the royal family that is in any way genuinely special different and better than the rest of us <laughs> Well, I never thought that. Like, who, whoever thinks that? Well, but that. the concept, like the well, she's not the queen anymore. But the the sever, the the king or queen of England is the head of the Church of England and supposedly a representative of God's will on earth. And Harry, Harry is like when I discovered this quote on BradyQuote.com. I mean, I mean, he gives his his sources like that's you know. I'm just wondering, like, was the ghostwriter not like, listen, Harry, um, you can just say it's, you can just say it's from Faulkner. Like, you don't have to admit that you found it on Bra Like, you could just say Faulkner. It's, it's okay. But no, he didn't do that. Because I think this ghostwriter has a great sense of humor. And that's also why he didn't tell Harry, you know, Harry, reading the audiobook in your own voice when it contains a sentence that starts with, my penis oscillated, was like, Maybe not the best PR move. No, the the ghostwriter was like, "Yeah, you read that audiobook in your own voice. Like you do that. People people definitely won't cut out audio clips and remove them from context and then remix them using your voice. Nobody would do that. It's only the internet." The only thing that makes me sad is all of the actual, like, royal, true life, spill all the tea memoirs that I really want to read that are never going to exist. Like, if Elizabeth I, like, Elizabeth Tudor could write her, like, tell everything, embarrass her whole family memoir, like, shit on her whole family, reveal how she lost her virginity or didn't because she's Elizabeth. Like, that's the one that I would pay so much money for. Yeah, yeah. It was it was thirty euros. That's a lot. Which I thought was a bit yeah, expensive. That's, that's, yeah. So yeah, I was. Uh, I hope. I hope it's good. <laughs> okay. And by good, you mean like bad, but in the yeah, best way possible. Exactly. And that's that's one thing about writing, guys. You know, it it, it can be it bad, can be bad. In, a, in a good way. Um, yeah. So anyway, moving on to the, ep the episode, we are going to, uh, so for our first episode of the year, we've decided to have a chat about a topic that came to me following a post uh, by the fanfiction writer Anurb uh, on Tumblr about out outgrowing fandoms, and I'll link the post in the show notes. But basically, um, she talks about her experience moving from fandom to fandom and from fic to fic in the way that she feels about the fandom and the way it can like consume you for a few years for a few months for a few years and then you just kind of outgrow it or move on from it and that's kind of what we are going to discuss uh, today I personally have definitely moved in between fandoms and you know writing different fandoms writing different things and Lani recently has as well so I think uh, it's going to be a very interesting topic for us to discuss so the first question that I wanted to ask you and the way that I wanted to kick off this discussion is to kind of say like do you think we ever really outgrow fandoms and 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 how do you think about it in terms of you know moving from a fandom to another i think when we like something i think there's always a part of that that stays with us even when we're past the part of our life when we would like that so for example like I, I remember the TV shows that I loved to watch, the cartoons I loved when I was five. And, you know, those are not shows that I would necessarily sit down and want to watch every day now because they're children's shows. But I think the fondness hasn't really gone away in the sense that when I think of like, what are the best kids TV shows? Like, it's still going to be the shows that I watched when I was that age, not new shows now. And there's still some things that really last for you, like... um 
Even mm-hmm. things for very young children, sometimes they stick with you. And even though that's not the thing you're going to consume anymore, you still have that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling when you see it mentioned and you know that that was something you really loved. And you know that, you know, maybe you would recommend it to somebody who's now the age that you are when you really loved it. So um, I think it's rare to completely be over something to the extent that you go from loving it to hating it. And I think when that does happen, it might be because if you went, if you underwent like an extreme identity shift where you changed like your political views strongly, that might be a situation where you went from loving something to hating it. But I think in general, you just sort of outgrow it like a sweater that no longer fits you, but it doesn't mean you think the sweater's ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think for me personally, one of the interesting things that Anurb was saying in her post is the post basically came about because someone sent her an Annan on Tumblr asking if she'd outgrown the Changeling, which is her main fic in the Potter fandom and you know it's a very popular fic in certain circles and she's not writing it anymore um and it's not left unfinished she's finished what she started but she there could have been a sequel and there's not and in her post she says quote I wouldn't say I outgrew it that feels a little too like saying someone has become bigger and better than the specific fandom or even their own fix. You probably didn't mean it that way, but that's just how it lands on me. So no, I haven't outgrown the Changeling or the HP fandom. And then she sort of goes on about explaining uh, how she actually feels about the fandom right now. But I totally agree with that. There's there's this I mentioned in the word that is kind of like, oh, looking down on the people who are still on it because it's it's kind of like, oh, I've outgrown that. You know, I'm beyond that. I'm like, I'm higher than that. And I think that is so far from the experience that personally I've had in fandom and that she was saying as well is like... It's not that you feel like you've outgrown it in that way. You're not superior to it. You're just, it was an obsession. And then it just feels like you've explored it to the extent that you wanted to explore it and you're ready to move on to something else. That's kind of my, but it doesn't mean that you don't love it anymore, as you said. It just means that you're moving on, exploring something else. And and it still holds a part in your heart like for me all the fandoms that I've been previously I I still think about them and I still you know I still like them like I still like The Good Wife as a show but I just I feel like that time of my life is in the past but it doesn't mean that it's bad it's just it means that it's in the past yeah I think um I think both forms can exist I think Sometimes you outgrow something because it really is um, a piece of media with maybe a lower level of age appeal or maturity and you really do feel like an older or more more mature person than the target audience of that work. And that can happen, especially with like children's fiction or YA. And I don't think it's necessarily saying anything about anybody else. Like I don't like this idea that like other people need to be personally offended by you outgrowing something. Because not everything that you feel is a comment on other people. Sometimes it's just about you. Like, I used to be really into musical theater. But when I say used to be, it's not like I don't still like it. It doesn't consume as much of my attention. But, like, I do sometimes still listen to music from musical theater. And I I still have, like, a very warm feeling in my heart for it. And I still... The way it affected my mind stayed permanently in the sense that I sort of think about writing and storytelling in a more theatrical, stage-informed way than maybe I would have otherwise, where, you know, a lot of people imagine their stories as movies, and maybe I also, to some extent, imagine them as theater in a way that kind of informs just how how I visualize things or how I conceive of scenes. Um, So even though I'm not as interested in newer musicals now, which is not to say that I'll never get interested again, like I was away from musical theater for a long time. And then I started to listen to the Hamilton soundtrack because everybody was saying it's so good. And I didn't form the kind of obsession with Hamilton that I had with previous shows, but I did really enjoy it. I listened to the soundtrack a lot. I thought it was really good. And like that part of me has stayed with me and like, it's not, it's not leaving me, but it's just not consuming me in the same way. Um, I think when I was really into the show Rent, it it fulfilled certain emotional needs for me, part of which was like imagining, because at the time I was a kid, and part of what was like imagining what it would be like to be an adult in my 20s, to be a young adult, 
and to have this kind of freedom to do what I wanted and to make my own mistakes. And that was a need that I had when I was the age of not having had that experience yet. Whereas now that I have now bypassed the age of those fictional characters, and now that I've kind of had my experience of going to certain kind of events, meeting certain kinds of people, being an artist, um, I think some of those questions have been kind of answered for me of, you know, what is it like? And I've sort of discovered what it's like. And so maybe I don't need that story in that way. But at the same time, it's also never left me because I learned so much uh, when I was into that show. Again, I was the same person I am now, just younger. So I, I did so much reading into the historical context mm -hmm. into you know the east village in new york city in the 80s and 90s yeah. and all of that cultural context i learned so much about the hiv epidemic i learned so much about drugs like everything that's relevant to that story and like that knowledge hasn't left me it's just there for when i need it or for when it's relevant you know like when i years later when i read infinite jest which is a big fat story, but part of it has to do with drugs. Actually, a, a large part of it has to do with drugs and drug addiction. That was knowledge that I already had. And so it just made it easier for me to read that book because I didn't have to like look up what everything meant. And then, you know, things sort of, um, you learn something and maybe it's not top of mind for a while and then it returns to you later in a different context. And I know certainly right now as I'm writing Merry Men that, um, it's really useful to me that even as I've had to do a ton of research on the Vietnam War, there's a lot of other stuff that I have not had to do a ton of research on because I feel like it's pre-researched because I learned it earlier through some of my earlier interests. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely, um, that definitely makes sense. And so the kind of a question that I think is interesting to discuss is I think we both consume a lot of fiction you know that's not you know books and series and and and, and stuff and what is it do you think about a particular piece that is like that gets from that goes from you being like oh this is a this is a good story I really enjoyed this to you being like, I want to write fan fiction about it. Uh, why don't you answer first? I kind of like to hear from you what you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think it just resonates with a time of your life and, and something you're going through. Like, I think, for instance, when I look at The Good Wife, I love, I, I love that show and I still do. But I think at the time that I really got into it, you know, I was a student and like you with Rent, there was something about wanting to explore what it would look like to actually work at a law firm. And it was a good exploration of like my feelings towards that career. And I felt already a little bit conflicted. So it was a good way to explore that. And I knew I knew it was fictional, like I knew my real life as a lawyer and the law firm wouldn't look like a TV show, but it was more about like the exploration of what that would look like and kind of imagining in my head. And I think that's why I got so caught up in it is that it resonated with me in that way and gave me the opportunity to explore that through adding stories and fan fiction. And I think in The Good Wife as well, for anyone who's seen it, there's there's a big dimension in that show of adult and young adult life versus actual adult life and how the choices that you make as a young adult impact the rest of your life. I, I used to, it's not a secret, I used to write a lot of Alicia Will content. And I think that was definitely, you know, exploring could have been because they have a huge could have been dimension about them where Alicia basically made a decision when she was a young adult to marry Peter instead of Will. And that obviously 20 years later, when the show happens, has a lot of consequences about their relationship and, and her own vision of events, especially because of the scandal that she finds herself in and, and her crumbling relationship with Peter. And so I think... Because those were worries that I had as a young adult of making the bad choices and, and those choices later coming to impact my life and, and potential regrets, that, that was something that really resonated with me and that I felt like I needed to dig 
deeper into. And I think it was the same for Silk as well. Um, Silk is another TV series that I wrote a lot about. Uh, it's basically a lawyer TV show in the UK. And I think in that show, for instance, the main character has kind of like this crisis of faith about like her practice and what she's doing with it and all of that stuff. And that's kind of what the show explores. And at that point, I was kind of going through the same motions. And so I think it resonated with me. And that's why I wanted to talk about it and to write about it because that was those were feelings that I was having so yeah I think I think that's how that's that's kind of for me it, it, re, it relates to my own life and and relates to themes that I sort of want to explore yeah I I definitely agree that it touches it touches something in you that feels relevant to you even though you may not necessarily be able to articulate it at the time like what it was that it touched in you. Um, And I think for me, I guess the thing that makes me want to write is usually before I ever want to sit down and actually write, I just, I keep having thoughts in my head when I put down the book or the show or whatever it is, where I keep, like I have more questions that are unanswered. There's things I want to see that haven't been shown or like there's things that bother me that I can't stop thinking about what would it be like to be this? What would it be like to endure that? Like, how would, what, what, what would it be like to have mm-hmm. this experience? Um, or what were these characters doing in those scenes that they didn't show? And it's kind of having those questions that keep coming back at you and keep bothering you, I think, is part of it. And then the second thing is discovering for yourself a kind of narrative voice where, I don't think I can sit down and write any kind of story until I figured out like what the voice is. Um, and sometimes I have to read other people's writing first to get a sense of like, mm-hmm. what could the voice be? So it, this, this is, this is easier if the work in question is a book, then obviously the original book is the example of what the voice is. It can be harder when the original piece is not a book to be like, what does this look like as a piece of writing? What is it? What does he even sound like? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, funnily enough, the other side of the coin to that is the reason why I didn't write HB fanfic for so long is that I didn't want to write like JKR because that was just not my style. And I thought you had to in order to write Harry Potter fic. Like I was like, because I'd never been in a fandom about a book before. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like, well, people who write Harry Potter fic like must write like JK Rowling. And obviously I didn't want that. It wasn't my style. It wasn't my thing. And so I was like, well, then I could never write Harry Harry Potter fic because that's just not my thing. And I think it took me a really long time to understand that like other people were doing other things and that you didn't have to stick to the voice of her writing in order to write fanfic. And I think also with with HB, the interesting thing is, I, I was kind of thinking about it, it, I'm not, this is going to sound weird, I'm not obsessed with Harry Potter. Like, I don't feel the need. I know a lot of people, like, will read the books obsessively and will speculate about, like, missing scenes or whatever. They will write meta about, you know, like, certain characters or certain families or certain situations or whatever. And I've never really been interested in that like I'm obsessed with the stories that I'm telling but to me they're my stories to be honest I I love the source material I'm not saying Harry Potter is bad but I'm just like I'm not in that obsessive mindset in the way that I can be about other things like right now I'm definitely in that obsessive mindset for Peaky Blinders like I could write five five thousand words metas about Peaky Blinders and like I have like this this essay planned in my head about religion and Peaky Blinders and the way it's explored and stuff that is definitely where I'm obsessed but I'm not obsessed like that about HB I'm obsessed about the stories I'm telling and I care about them very much but I'm not like it's it's really strange but I'm not in that kind of headspace either yeah I think I think um the obsession obsession can take so many different forms and I agree that with where I am in the stories that I'm telling for HP right now I'm more obsessed with my world that I've created and my characters and and it kind of (laughs) tangentially has to do with canon but that that's, yeah. that's probably only because I've had plenty of years and plenty of time to have my obsession with canon. Like, 
this content is not new. So like, you know, I've, I've had plenty of time to sort of read through canon and, and find all this gold and stuff that I love. I think right now, the thing that bothers me in a sense that I keep having these questions in my mind and I, my mind keeps going back to it is like, I'm really interested in the, in the life of Alexander the Great. And the part that bothers me is just like the absence of really reliable, objective source material about the particular things that I want to know. So we have, the main problem is that there's just hardly any source material, I mean, historical material at all. Even the stuff that we do have, we have no primary sources whatsoever. The secondary or like tertiary sources we have are very biased. And uh, you have to understand like the historiography of the time to understand why certain things are said that are very likely untrue, but we're written to make make a sort of moral argument. So basically, like we don't have like the equivalent mm-hmm. of like videos of him speaking and we'll never have that, right? Um, and even for the stuff that we do have, we might have in- We don't know about his penis. Well, <laughs> no, we, yeah. We certainly don't have like a first, first person reflection on how it felt. Uh, and even the stuff that we do know, like battle tactics are like the things that don't interest me that much. The stuff yeah. that I do want to know would never have been written down because it's like, well, what did it feel like when this happened? Or like emotionally, mm-hmm. what did that feel like? Or like, how, how did you feel about your father? Or like, <laughs> um, I, I promise I really am not talking about Prince right <laughs> Because we actually have answers to those questions now, right? Yeah. That's why it's killing me that I'm like, the person that I want to hear from is never going to write a tell-all. But, you know, like, it drives me crazy that, like, we don't have the historical documents that did at one point exist because they've been destroyed or lost. The ones that I really want would never have been written down in the first place because it never would have occurred to people in that time and place to write that kind of information down. And yet, like, that's the stuff that I really want to know. And it's only, therefore, explorable through fiction because we really can't get any closer to it through nonfiction. And I think that that's what causes the obsession is this this kind of absence of material that we have. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think for me with HB, that's kind of the same thing in terms of the like the only thing I'm interested in HB is the post-war kind of era. That's the only thing I'm interested in. But it's it's interesting what you were saying about like you've had time to explore that aspect of canon and you've had time to go through it. So that's not really of interest anymore because you've explored that before. The thing is like I never did. I was never in the HP fandom really as a child like I read the books and I was obsessed with them but I was obsessed with them on my own I wasn't really communicating with anybody and I think I haven't really explored that but it's not it's just not something that fascinates me like I see so many people being fascinated with like the house of black and stuff I'm like good for you but it's never really been of interest to me and and so in that way I'm very I, I don't really understand myself why I'm so obsessed with, you know, writing the stories that I'm writing because I don't really have that much of an interest in the source, source material and I never, I mean, I liked it, but I never really was obsessed to the point of like getting in fandom and stuff. So I think, I think that's kind of interesting, but I was also wondering in kind of that same way, what makes you fall out of love with a particular piece of media and what makes you stop writing about it? Because obviously, you know, you, you we kind of move in between fandoms and, and I was wondering, you know, what makes you fall in love, but also what makes you fall kind of out of that need to write? Um, I think it really depends on the specific fandom and the medium that it is. And also sometimes I lose the interest in writing, but sometimes it's a fandom, like there are fandoms I'm really into that I've just never wanted to write for, but I've still been really into. Um, and this mm-hmm. is why I say that like medium matters because for example, when I was really into musical theater, we had this sort of very medium specific issue of, you know, shows with clothes. They would go off Broadway, and then if you wanted to see them in their natural habitat and not a bootleg recording, you couldn't because they were literally closed. 
And then once they closed, a lot of the kind of fandom community would gradually die down because a lot of the community would revolve around like people. Every time new actors would replace previous actors, we would compare them and how they sang and their roles and who we liked, whose performances we liked. And, you know, people, new people would discover the show because they would go to see it um, on Broadway or whatever and they would get obsessed. And then when I remember when Rent closed, it was 2007 and I was just like devastated because I knew that I would never get to see it on Broadway and I've seen it I've seen the touring company but I've never seen it on Broadway because obviously it closed before I got a chance to and that like more than anything that killed a lot of the fandom because it was closed um and it's it's just it's just not like Lord of the Rings or whatever where you can pick up the book and it's the same book that somebody could have picked up in 1962, right? Yeah. Um, so that sort of medium-specific fandom, I think, is very vulnerable to, like, fandom collapse because uh, of the specific nature of it. Another example would be, like, this, this is not something I have personal knowledge of, but you know how we hear about how, like, TV killed, like, radio... Like TV killed, um, like serial radio. Like I imagine that would have been like a massive sort of fandom collapse when TV came in and a lot of these like serialized radio programs fell apart. Other words, I think the biggest thing that, that ends your participation in one fandom is getting obsessed with a new one, right? It's, I guess, adultery, yeah. cheating. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I think there's two things. The first thing is I've definitely experienced what you've talked about in the kind of Broadway scene kind of thing, because that happens to a lesser extent, but it does happen with TV shows as well. Most people who are in fandoms for TV shows are in fandoms for TV shows whilst they are on air. And once the TV show kind of ends the fandom sort of dies down as well. That happened with The Good Wife. Um, it happened with, you know, pretty much every single series that I was on. For me, I think me stopping writing for, I'd say for House and The Good Wife was definitely the writing in the show going downhill. That was definitely the cause. I could not relate to the show anymore. I think, you know, that's... And it was very, very much a problem, especially at the time with, you know, shows that were serialized and, you know, you had like 20 episodes and they were like on these big net, big networks and the showrunners would change, the writers would change and the kind of spirit of the show would like kind of get lost in the ether. This definitely happened to ha- with House. It definitely happened with The Good Wife. And that ultimately is one of the reasons why I left fandom. Um... And why I kind of fell out of love and and fell out of wanting to write. Also, there was another thing, and I think Anna kind of talked about it in her post. She said, I think maybe I've said everything that I want to say about that, which didn't make me love it any less. It just no longer owned my brain and my thoughts. And I think that really resonated with me, where sometimes you've just explored the topic. Like, you've just explored it. And, and you've said everything that you had to say. And for me, I think that's definitely going to happen with Potter. Like once I finish Castles and I finish the few kind of fics that I want to write, like the Hermione fic and, and the, the few kind of Castles adjacent fics that I have on my head, I'll probably disappear again. Like I'll have said everything I needed to say. I'll have said everything I want to say about the post-war world, which is what I'm interested in. And that's kind of it. And I think for me, you know, I, I it happened to me with um, the other fandom that I was in before HB, which was Silk. And I wrote a really long fic for it. It's 143,000 words. And I had an Anon a few months after I finished being like, would you ever write a sequel? And I was like, no, because... I've said everything that I had to say and this is not to say that I don't like the show anymore. It's not to say that I don't, you know, relate to it or whatever. It's just, I've said everything that I needed to say. I've said my piece and that's kind of it, you know? (laughs) Um, So I definitely, that's kind of definitely what makes me fall out of love 
with with these things. Um, have you ever sort of fallen out of love and left, and then years later, like rediscovered and like reignited your your appreciation? No, that's never happened. Like, well, you know, if I see if I see the Good Wife or House or whatever on TV these days, I'll watch it and I'll like it and I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that episode, or, or oh yeah, I remember that. But it's not to the point that I feel the need to get back. There's one fake in my head still for The Good Wife, and I think I will write it. Um, I just don't know when, but I think I will write it. There's one fake in my head. Um, but that's kind of, that's about it, you know? There's, yeah, I've never, I've never really fallen back into it. I, there's maybe one show, um, called Spooks, uh, which is a British TV series, which I wrote to fic for in 2013, and then I wrote a new one in 2021. But I wouldn't say I was ever in fandom for that. It was just like a show that I liked, that I wrote about, and that I wrote about again when I rewatched it. And that was kind of that. What about you? Yeah, I would say like with with Harry Potter specifically, it's, it's really been cyclical in my life, where my first round of obsession was from maybe... 9 to 9 to 11 and then I got into some other things and then my next round was from let's say 15 to 16 um, when I sort of rediscovered it because I was rereading the first book to a student who I was tutoring at that time uh, a, like a younger kid obviously and that was how I got reinterested I reread the books I was older, more mature. My experience of them was different. I went to another round of interest. Then I got into other stuff. My third round came when I was about 21 or so. And I'm struggling to remember what got me into it. I, I, I don't recall. But then again, I was a different person. I was older. I got into it again on a different level. And then I guess like just having all this time during the pandemic also, like I think we saw a lot of revival of fandoms during the pandemic when in the early days when people just had a lot more free time and you know so for me at this point after this many rounds of like revival I think it's clear to me that it's something that will stick with me for the rest of my life but it will be cyclical and you know every time I rediscover it I'm kind of a different person and have a different understanding of it I mean I I can tell you that um the the first time that I had to teach middle school like a grade 7 like I had done younger grades but this was my second student teaching place mm-hmm. when I was teaching grade 6 and 7 and I had some really uh badly behaved kids who would really drive me nuts and I just wasn't used to being around that age group and and uh dealing with some of the difficulties of that behavior and one day I was like, I was in a supply closet getting some paper or something to photocopy. And I just had this sudden, sudden moment of being like, oh my God, this is why Snape is mean. Like, this is, this is what it feels like to be the mean, angry, unforgiving, no second chances type teacher. And it's like, you're not born that way. It's like, they, they grind you down until you, until there's like nothing left of you except that. <laughs> person and I was like man like I never would have understood like why was he such a mean teacher until I've had those days when I've been like there's not a shred Mm -hmm. of compassion left in me like I'm done I'm done you guys have pushed me too far and I think that's like I I I had a kid ask me the other day or not ask me but say to me the other day like I hate Snape he's so mean and I was like you have to teach middle school to, under school to understand Severus Snape. Like, you're not ready to understand him until, okay, two things have to happen to you, both of which have happened to me. Number one, you have to go through like a devastating, emotionally violent romantic rejection. Number two, you have to teach middle school, okay? After you've done those two things, you will be ready to empathize with this character. Um, so anyway, anyway, you know, it's just like you come back to a story and it's no longer the same story because you're not the same person. Yeah. Yeah, no, maybe. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it'll never happen. Like, I'm not saying I'm not going to pick up, you know, something else in, in a few years and, and feel the need to write about it again. I think it's just for me, it's never happened. But I'm totally open to it. Um, and And do you think there's a difference between 
falling out of love with the story and falling out of love with the fandom, like wanting to write fanfic and wanting to do that work, but not being in fandom anymore. I I think there is, yes. I think there's certainly, like, you'll hear instances of people who have been in fandoms and then get bullied so severely they take off their they take all their work offline and you can understand how like those people may love the book but they they yeah. just don't want to engage with the fandom anymore and even though i i haven't had that experience of bullying that was so bad that i've had to go offline or anything but i've definitely been in fandoms where the community was getting so toxic and the behavior was getting so bad that i was like i don't want to engage with these fans even if i like the source material so I mean, definitely I've had some of that in the past year with Harry Potter fandom mm-hmm. where I've just been like, I don't want to talk to any of you guys. Like, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to talk to you because, like, I can't stand the way you're acting. Yeah, but you still want to write fanfic. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's Because int- it's my story and it's my world <laughs> and really has nothing to do with them. But, I, but you have to assume that, like, your audience are people who engage in the fandom, like, are people who, you know, if you... If you write Harry Potter fic and you post it online, obviously the people who are going to read it are going to be the Harry Potter fandom. That's true, but we know that this is a fandom of like sub-communities and niches, and overwhelmingly the people reading my work were not the people who I saw behaving badly on other sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I've never had an experience where I found fandom so toxic that I wanted to leave. Like, that's never happened. But there's definitely... I've definitely written fake for fandoms that I'm not an active participant in. You know, like, Peaky Blinders, I've written one fic for Peaky Blinders, but I'm not... I follow a lot of Peaky Blinders, Tumblrs and stuff, but I'm not an active participant. I'm on their Discord, but I've never said a word on it. I don't really go on Reddit. I don't I don't feel like I'm part of fandom. And also the Peaky Blinders fandom is a weird beast, but that's a different <laughs> that's a story for another time. But but it's just like I don't feel I love the story and I love seeing posts and like reblogging stuff, but I don't feel this need to talk to other people. Yeah, I definitely, I think also it's about like curating your spaces. So block, unfollow, whatever, do what you need to do if you don't like the community you're in. And I I would say like, again, this this is easier to do when you're older. Like, cause I know that when I was 13, and there was like meanness in fandom, I was like less emotionally equipped to give it the amount of seriousness that it deserves than I am now, obviously. So would you give any advice to a person who's like, um, I'm thinking I want to stay in this fandom, but all my friends have left? Huh. That's a very interesting one. I think it can be hard. And I, I think we've Everyone who's been in fandom for long enough has gone through this. People in fandom come and go. And you can have like really strong relationships and friendships mm-hmm. with some people and then they just go offline and you never hear about them again. Um, and that could be for a number of reasons. Like I think when you're young, you feel like it's your fault, which it barely ever, like it never is. It's like people have lives going on. They have, they form different obsessions and it's not, it's not really about you. It's about, you know, it's about them and their lives. And I think that's definitely something that happens a lot. And, you know, even I've seen it happen even in the two years that I've been writing for Harry Potter and specifically that I've been writing Castles. There's people who were obsessed with Castles a year ago who would DM me and stuff who I don't hear about anymore. And it's not about me. It's like, it's what they did. Like they've moved on from it and I can't move on because I have to finish the story. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I respect that they have because, you know, like that, that it's not their story, it's mine and I have to finish it. Um, but I think advice when that happens and when you're like, oh, I'm the only person left in fandom is make new friends like because the thing is people come people go but they also come there will always be new people in the fandom i joined the silk fandom two years after the show was finished because it got on netflix and i watched it and i was like this is great and i think in 
you know, there are there are people who are obsessed with castles who aren't reading it anymore, aren't DMing me anymore, but there's new people that are. So it's, you know, it's just accepting that cycle that things come and go and that people come and go in fandom a lot more, I find, than they do in real life, uh, even though they, that is a phenomenon that is in real life. But in fandom, particularly because it's a hobby, you know, people people just kind of come and go and you have to go with the flow. You have to embrace the new people who are commenting on your work or who you're interacting with or who are writing works that you love and accept the fact that the people who've left have mm-hmm. moved on to different things and that's cool too. Um, and if you can keep in contact and, you know, let them move on but still be friends, that's great. But also certain people just go offline and you never hear about them again. And I've definitely, I think... Not only have we seen that happen to us, but I've definitely been the culprit in that way as well. I was off Tumblr for two and two or three years and then I logged back on and I had like so many messages from people I used to talk to who I never, who I just like stopped talking to and I felt really bad about it. But I think just kind of accept that this is a hobby. This is something that you do for you and embrace the interactions with you have with the people who are in that fandom in that moment. Yeah, and I would also say you don't have to stop being friends with someone just because you no longer like the same thing. A hundred percent. Because like realistically between you and me, like when we both sort of fade out of the Potter fandom or whatever, I'd go on my dormant part of my cycle or whatever it is, like it's very possible we'll never again find something that we both mutually like. And that's fine. And like, it doesn't bother me because it's like, we're sort of like two ships passing in the night, right? We landed on one common thing at the same time, sort of by chance. Um, Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean like, you don't have to love the same things as your friends all the time. 100%. And, you know, I'm still friends with um, Tess. Um, I, I struggled for a moment because I know her real name in real life and I'm like, that's... Yeah, you're trying and to I was like, what, what, what is her fandom name again? Uh, <laughs> but I'm still friends. Tess and I were in the in the, the Good Wife fandom at the same time. And, you know, obviously she's moved on to Star Wars. I've moved on to Harry Potter, but we're still good friends and we still have a good, you know, we still have good interaction and I don't... You know, I don't, I don't begrudge her for moving on and I don't begrudge myself for moving on either. It's just, it's just part of life really. And if you want to maintain those relationships, if you want to maintain those friendships, it's kind of like real life. You have to make the effort to sort of maintain that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like just because you've lost interest in like being a member of the royal family doesn't mean necessarily (laughs) that you're going to lose all of the relationships you made in the royal family. This this episode is about Harry. <laughs> I mean, even if you discuss some of the, the fandom drama that went on in, for example, the royal family. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a really good fandom for the royal family as well. They were there was this there was this person who I used to follow on Tumblr for another fandom who then got really obsessed with the cra- with the crown and like they kept reposting like the crown stuff and I was like, "Oh, you're getting into that fandom." Okay. <laughs> I I love watching like I love it when people get into the weirdest and most obscure fandoms. Like r- recently I started reading Slouching Towards Bethlehem, which is a book of like nonfiction kind of essays by Joan Didion published in the 60s and like it's just lots of people love her writing but I found myself and thinking like are you allowed to write fan fiction of this like are you because this is not really the kind of thing Mm. like their non-fiction essay like I was like "Can, can can you do that like is that are you allowed? Would I be the first person? <laughs> like, are, are you allowed to do that? So I, I just love when people get into stuff that's like not even like people have written fan fiction for that Sears commercial for the air conditioner. Yeah. Like, I respect it a lot. I love, I love when people get into weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I love seeing. I mean, I live on Tumblr, and I love seeing it on Tumblr. Like, I love. I would never unfollow someone. Uh, who I used to be friends with because they've fallen into a different fandom. I love it. There was a there was a post on Tumblr that I saw that was like, 
it took me a few days to realize that Goncharov wasn't real because to me, <laughs> Goncharov and House of Dragon are the same thing. Like they just pop up on my dash and like they are, they are in the same universe and I don't know what's real and what's not. <laughs> and I just- yeah, it's like I've, I've never seen Supernatural, but even I can explain like gay superpower. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's something that's lovely is like, you know, keep like when you keep following someone and they've just moved on something else and you see them reblog stuff and you're like, sometimes it's even made me want to watch certain things, you know, seeing it on Tumblr and being like, oh, I kind of want to watch that. Like that sounds good. So I would definitely recommend keeping in touch with people who've moved on to different fandoms. Yes. Okay. I think we're going to wrap up. Um, so Lani, do you have any recommendations for us this week? Well, um, I haven't finished the whole book, but I have been reading Slouching Towards Bethlehem, as I said, by Joan Didion, um, which was published in 1968, which is the year that I currently have, like, I fixation with. Um, I've also started the book Black Sails, and I've also been... Uh, Keeping Up with Sunset in Your Veins by Viscaria Fields, which is the fan fiction that updated just as soon as AO3 went down. (laughs) Yeah, so for the record, we're recording on the 14th of January and AO3 went down uh, for like a few hours yesterday. And I think for me, I've been reading The Every by um, Dave Eggers which is the sequel to The Circle by the same author and talk about coming back to a fandom. Like, I am obsessed. I was obsessed with The Circle, which, by the way, don't watch the film. I don't know if you've watched it. It's with um, Emma Watson. Don't watch it. It's bad. It's They changed the ending and I'm still upset about it and it's been years. But I really love The Circle as a book and I'm reading The Every at the moment, which is a sequel but with different characters. And it's just so good. I would absolutely recommend it, especially if you're interested in like dystopia and social media and you know the internet and things like that uh, which I'm obsessed with uh, it is a very good book so Lani where can we find you online I remain at copper dash dust on both uh, AO3 and Tumblr don't find me anywhere else <laughs> and I'm Pebbly Sand on AO3 and Tumblr as well I'm also actually on TikTok and Twitter but I never TikTok nor tweet so you can like you can follow an empty account if you want uh, <laughs> but uh, and you can find the podcasts if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics that we should talk about in next episodes at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com or ask box is open thank you so much Lani it's been great and we'll chat to you in the next episode thank you bye bye bye